Hello and welcome to another episode of Jackson Talks. Everybody with me, your host Jackson Stone, and I am joined today uh, by a, just a really kind, authentic soul that I just happened to have met over social media, which I think is brilliant. And we're going to have a fantastic conversation about his journey, mental health, and all that encompasses. Um, but please welcome to the show, my new friend, Mitch Parsons. Jackson, hi. <laughs> Thank you. This is the first time I've actually been on somebody else's podcast. And so it's weird being introed. I'm not I'm not used to it. Receiving kind words is a skill that I'm working on. And so thank you for your kind words. Yeah, absolutely. And we had a we had a brilliant conversation on your pod. So I encourage everyone to go check that out. Um, it's called the Over the Drink uh, podcast, found where all of your podcasts are found. We had a really nice conversation there and we're doing a little podcast flip-flop. So he's now yeah. on my show. Um, and I'm sure if you listen to that one, We'll have kind of the same context on this one, but uh, it'll be more about Mitch's story and his journey and how he got here today now. But I, uh, uh, if you're a brand new listener, if you're part of Mitch's community or Mitch's circle and you're brand new to this pod, um, I start this podcast off in a very specific way, the same every time I do an episode, whether I have a guest or not. Um, and it's centered around a very important question that I believe can change the world. I know that sounds big, but I, I believe that to be true. And I think it encourages more open and honest dialogue, um, which is really the key, the secret unlock to more unity, more understanding, uh, and more love. So Mitch, I asked you this question right now. How are you doing? Like for real, for real? Oh man, for real, for real. I am really good, actually. I, um, man, my wife is 37 and a half weeks, uh, which is mind boggling. Uh, the OB essentially told us on Monday that you're full term, you can go into labor whenever you want. And so, uh, my baby girl, um, is going to be here. Could be tomorrow, uh, which is crazy. Um, so I'm really good. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in this place of trying to find rhythm. Uh, I'm a I'm a three on the Enneagram. If anybody is uh, familiar with that, but I'm a goer, like doer, and I'm always going and I'm always thinking, and I'm trying to find a balance between rest and uh, what's next. And so, um, but truly, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Amazing to hear. Um, has the um the idea that you're going to become a father and bring a new life into this world yeah. changed your outlook already. Because I know when she arrives and you see her and you hold her, um, you're probably going to understand love like truly for the first time, maybe besides yeah. being with your wife, but has it already changed your outlook on how you see things? Yeah. Yeah, it has. I, I think it has really made me realize how unprepared I am and how okay that is. Like, I think a lot of men, be, uh, and I think there's an aspect of preparation for, uh, for fatherhood. I think, I mean, I've, I've put a nursery together and we put the crib together, but the first time that my baby has a blowout, 
I am not going to know how to handle that. Um, and so the idea that I am not able to be completely in control of this is something that I'm, I think it's bleeding into other parts of my life of, of like understanding that there are aspects that it's okay to admit that I am not, I'm going to learn through it. Like, that's what I'm expecting is to learn through this. And there's that. And then weirdly, like I am like a teddy bear when it comes to my life. Like it takes so much to get me angry. Like you could sit and spit in my face and I would, but you speak about my, my mother and my wife. And I say mother first, because that's the first person that I actually like got defensive of in my life. But like you speak about my wife, you speak about my uh, my mom or my sister. Those are the three people that get me angry. And now I have a little girl coming. Um, and I find myself being a lot more protective of my wife because now there's two. So like, I'm always not like angry, but I always got an eye on her. Like when, when we're in public places, I like, I'm always on guard um, because not that she can't defend herself, but it, I just feel like she's pregnant right now. So like her moving is not good. <laughs> she's not mobile. And so, uh, man, yeah, I think it's, I think it has made me more aware of my um, inevitable inadequacies, I, I think would be the word, but, but it's okay that they're there. Like there are blind spots that you would grow like when you when you have muscles that are weak I'm gonna I'm gonna work those out and they will get stronger um and it, but it's also made me more aware of my fatherly like vision almost mm. yeah and how is because I know you over kind of the last you know since starting your podcast which is fairly new you've kind of been on this journey about how to have more conversations with men about things that we go through has yeah. becoming a father was that the the catalyst for that or was that something that happened you know together or where where did those intersect yes and no uh i think it was the driving point for me to go get counseling um i think it was a driving point because so for those who don't know me i i developed an eating disorder while i played college football uh and I dealt with it on my own for even through my marriage I dealt with it on my own or I thought that I was and um until I started to see it bleed into the life of like my wife and the repercussions that she was wearing because of my wounds um and then having a baby I was like you I would rather die than to project my unhealthy mental on someone who is so formidable so like I need to get this corrected um and that's dark but that's truly how I felt um and so that, that drove me to counseling but the the idea of uh men talking is more a solidarity thing that I felt two years ago of uh there's no way I'm the only one who feels this way uh I can't be the only one if I'm the only one then this is going to be a difficult life to live uh, because I, I need someone to link arms with me and say, Hey, I feel that way too. Mm. Um, who isn't my wife? Like my wife is through and through my best friend. She is my other half. She is my better half, but there are things that I'm wrestling with that biologically she can't relate to. And so I need people in my life who are able to talk to me about things that they're experiencing. And I didn't have that. And so if I didn't have it, I just 
figured I can try to start creating it. And uh, over the past two years, I believe that I have, at least in my circle, and it's been really cool. Yeah, well, yeah, we're definitely going to touch on that, the podcast, the conversations that you've had, what you've learned from those conversations. But we'll take it back a little bit because you mentioned your your athletic career a little bit. Yeah. So tell us about your athletic career, football, and then ultimately the end of your career and what that whole journey was like. Definitely. Uh, My athletic career has been the greatest slash worst thing that's ever happened to me. Mm. Um, As a human, pridefully, I am very proud of the fact that I was an All-American in high school. I was uh, one of, I was the top, what was I? I think I ended up seven, the seventh tight end in the country. Um, I had offers from schools all over the country. Uh, I ended up going to play football at Vanderbilt uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, which was a blessing. It was amazing. Uh, I, I don't know, I guess, what else could I, I transferred home to CSU because of family health stuff. So I'm from Denver, uh, came home, uh, had offers to go back to CU and CSU, so Colorado and Colorado State. Colorado ran a spread at the time and I played tight end. I didn't want to go be a left tackle. And then uh, Colorado state had my best friends all living in a house together. And so I was like, I can go live with my best friends, play football. They ran a pro style. Um, It was mountain West football, which is mountain West football. It's not big power five school, um, which pridefully I'd built in my head of like, it's whatever. Um, And so uh, I went there for a year and a half. I graduated college in three years. I'm a nerd. Um, took 21 credits a semester. Took. Yo, that's four. legendary though. <laughs> I think, yeah, I'm a, dude, I, that's one thing again. Like, so I preface all of this, like you have to understand, like I sell gloves for a living. Like I'm a PPE salesman, which is amazing. It provides for my family, but it is just like, not what I thought I was going to be doing. Like, yeah. even, like, like I, um was one of the only football players to graduate above a 385 at Colorado State like ever um I did it in three years I was dean's list I was um on the board of uh, representatives for the it's called SAC student advising student athletic advising committee I was the president of that I was the Mountain West representative for that I was for some reason I was on the homecoming committee I don't know why I was (laughs) um I was I was on the board for uh for the not on the board but I was the liaison between the athletic department and the black campus ministries I um was the liberal arts student of the like I had all of these accolades and now I sell gloves and so like that is one of the and I, like I was getting ready to so I, I scored in the spring game I was a red shirt sophomore so I was in line to start so I would have been a three-year starter um I would have graduated in three got my master's for another two and then I could have transferred and gotten my started my doctorate at another school site eligibility. But insert the worst part, like the part of like how it's the worst part of my life. I developed an eating disorder when I was at Vanderbilt that has wreaked havoc on my life um, since then. And so I, I actually, uh, I stopped playing football because of it. I I quit football because um, the it was literally killing me. I felt like sludge on the inside. I'd walk into the locker room. I hated walking into the locker room because I had to step on a scale. Every single time I walked in, there was a, a, a GA 
standing there weighing us. I, I don't look at the scale today. <laughs> I don't weigh myself today. I, I actually, I take that back. I weighed myself at the doctor's about two months ago and had a panic attack. Um, and, um, or the starts of a panic attack. I was actually super proud of myself because I, I caught it before it spiraled, but um, the, the beginning manifestations of a, of a panic attack. And um, I walked into the my head coach's office and said, hey, um, I'm just not gonna play anymore. <laughs> I can graduate uh, at the end of this summer because I was taking summer classes too. Um, I'm telling you, I'm a nerd. Like I, um, and uh, took a lot of summer classes, and um, I was like, "Hey, I, I don't want to play anymore." And you're part of the reason for that, um, but also my mental is part of the reason for that, and so or the main reason. But you're kind of enforcing the mental, um, and so yeah, uh, football, sports have been my life my whole life. I won a state championship in basketball in high school. I was the number one player in the state for two years, or I take that back, Christian McCaffrey went, lived in Denver. I'm, he was a year younger than me. I grew up playing baseball with Christian. He was the number one player in the state. He is the number one, he's in the NFL. He's the best running back in the NFL. So behind him, I was the number one player in the state, um, number two player in the state, I guess you could say. I don't, he doesn't count, he's not human. Um, but um, but yeah, I, uh, played five sports growing up. I swam, played lacrosse, uh, football, soccer, basketball, baseball, you name it. Um, and now today I sell gloves, which we can get into at a whole nother time. Cause, um, I don't know. That's identity. That's an identity talk. So I don't know where you want to take it. And I rambled a lot. So I apologize. No, it's all good. Uh, I've, yeah, I've a couple follow-up questions. Yeah. <clears throat> was um was football your first love or was there another sport that you loved more? You just happened to be better at football. So that's where you took it. Yeah. Basketball is my love. I, I, I love basketball, I'm, but I'm six, four and a half. They'll never give me six, five. The thing with uh, recruiting is they, 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 you are like, like I'm six, four and three quarters. And they're like, no, you're six, four. And I'm like, no, but then they put you in the, they put you in the, uh, the little pamphlet on the like on the online roster that lists my name it's like six six i'm like i'm not six six but i'm also like anyways um so yeah basketball is my first if i was six six i'd be playing basketball um basketball is my first love but i grew up on a team um or i played high school on a team where all three of our guards were d1 uh and then we had it was it was unfair honestly we had three d1 guards and then a, a d1 football player on the inside and so um i played center but to play collegiate basketball at center you gotta be 610 <laughs> uh at least and so uh i had like smaller school interest to come play basketball but not not to the level where i was um football i played because i was good at it mm. um and it was it was fun because, man, if you watch my high school tape, I was just a lot bigger than everybody. So it just really wasn't fair. <laughs> and so that was fun because as sad as it is when like you're able to be dominant at something, I wasn't dominant at basketball. I just loved it. I still play basketball. I haven't touched, a, I haven't played a football game and people are like, come play flag football at our church for the church league. And I'm like, heck no. 
<laughs> there's no chance I'm going and playing football with you. I don't like football. I'll probably I'll play basketball in the church league though, and I do. Um, so yeah. At the at the time when you were playing football though, that that you you did love the sport at the time you were playing it, or you just it was just there because it was there. It was there because it was a vehicle for my education. Mm -hmm. um, it got me into a top ten school. Uh, it paid for my like I look at I look back. My wife and I are so blessed. Neither of us have uh, student debt, uh, so we were able to buy a house a year and a half into our marriage um, because a lot of my friends are like, yeah, we'd love to, but we have these student loans that we got to pay off. And um, I got a degree for free. Um, I got to meet a lot of really cool people. A lot of my really good friends are actually, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that. There's a few really good friends. I did a bad job when I left football. I kind of, I had a lot of hurt that was, I associate with football and kind of just clumped a lot of people into that where mm -hmm. I'm like, you are football. Um, even though there's nothing, you did nothing you kind of just get put in that bin of not touching. Um, so I've kept a couple of good friends, um, but the rest of my, I love, all, I love all my teammates. It's fun watching them, but no, I don't love football. Um, I never loved football. Uh, I loved it for the, uh, the check that I got to pay for my rent during college. Um, I liked it for the fact that my books were free and so were, was all my education. But if I could have done that, I mean, the thing is, is I could have done it I had educate. I had I had a uh, merit for education to do that, um, but there was this pride glamour thing that was like, I want to be the kid from this high school, like from my town, who who does it. Um, and it, I think it was like a, another thing, like uh, at the time, the coming out of high school, the year before me, uh, my buddy Shane went to Auburn. He was a four star. Um, according to rivals, uh, the year before that, my buddy Brendan went to Stanford and he was a four star and it was almost like, oh, Mitch is the next four star, like the next like big name out of Shap. I think I kind of leaned into that a little bit, um, which is gross to say now, but as a 16 year old, 17 year old, um, it felt good to be wanted for something that you're good at. Right. Um so no, I can't, I can't really say I truly miss the sport. No. Yeah. And so uh, now touching back on, on the eating disorder that you developed. Yeah. What, what circumstances or experiences or the language that was possibly used um, or might, might be, have been the cause of that, you developing that eating disorder and yeah. where are you with it right now today? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is something that I've done a lot of introspection for. Um, I was forced at first to go to the counselor through the athletic department, Dr. Woosley at Vanderbilt because, um, and she kind of gave me the beginning landmark to on this journey of introspection of, hey, uh, a big thing with eating disorders is the loss of control. So you control what you eat. Like I can't control all the things going around me going on around me, but I can control what I put into my body. Um, and I did. Um, I went to Vanderbilt and man, I'm, I'm telling you when I grew up, um, I grew up in a, not a small town, but, um, and it sounds gross, but like I was, people knew who I was uh, walking around. If I went around town, like I, um, I was Mitch. Um, I was homecoming royalty, prom royalty, like, uh, 
captain of the basketball team, captain of the football, you know what I mean? Like just like that persona, um, my head was this big uh, going into college. And then all of a sudden I went to an SEC school where I no longer was the best athlete. I no longer was the best uh, in class. Um, I no longer was getting like girls off of my name. Uh, people didn't care who I was. Um, people didn't care who I was. Like that's another, like um, my mom got sick. Uh, I like all of a sudden, like I wasn't dominating in football and I couldn't control these things that before I could like puppeteer type control. Um, and so in my head connect happened, how this connection happened. Um, when, so I was getting recruited. I weighed, I was six, four, two in high school. I was, I played receiver. Um, most, there were sets that I, that I more often than not, I was lined up out wide because I could run and I played basketball. So I, I had, I could high point the ball. My entire highlight tape is me high, high pointing balls. I had schools, uh, Oregon, Cal, these bigger, like recruiting me like the pack 12 schools, I guess it'd be pack 10 at the time recruiting me to be a big receiver. I weighed 225. I was going to be a big receiver. They're like, we want you to lose 10 pounds and come play this position in our offense. But then the majority of the schools were, man, I remember looking up at a basketball game and I had Oklahoma, Michigan, Oklahoma State, uh, Vanderbilt, Florida, uh, CU, CSU, all of their coaches coming to watch me play a basketball game uh, because they wanted to see how athletic I was. Um, if I could move, uh, they all wanted me at 250. And so I put on 25 pounds my senior year and seeing my body change in that way, I hated it. I was always that kid who could eat whatever I wanted, have a six pack, um, be cut up, literally eating junk food. And then all of a sudden I'm no longer that lean. I'm slower because I weigh 25 pounds heavier. Um, and I, I had somehow tied or associated this weight gain with all of these things that I used to be really good at, no longer being good at them. Mm -hmm. So that became the problem. And so how do I control that? I stop eating. And so I, I was, mind you, the, the first summer out there, we're doing, I mean, every summer in college football, it's uh, a run and a lift here in summer classes. Um, but the run and the lift are pretty intense because there's no practice. Um, there might be seven on type stuff going on in the afternoon that you're like not mandated to go to, but mm. it's pretty, it's like volunteer. But if you're not there, the GAs will for sure tell your position coach that you weren't there. Right. Um, and so uh, I'm doing all this physical activity and my caloric intake for the day was and a hundred calorie protein shake in the morning. I can literally see like the thing with food right now is I can, it's like a, a photographic memory as far as like, I literally can catalog. If you would ask me right now, what I've eaten in the last week, I could tell you like by meal. Um, and like, so I can see in my head, the container of protein that I used to eat. That was a uh, hundred calories, no carbs, no sugar. Um, I think it was like 19 grams of protein. Um, that was my breakfast. Then I went and ran and I lifted and I would not eat the protein shake afterwards because that was way too many calories, way too many carbs. I, 
the protein I needed, but I sacrificed that for the fact that I was, so then I didn't have that. I wouldn't eat lunch. Uh, and then at dinner at, in the athlete dining hall that they had at Vandy, um, I would have a cup, literally a cup. So like a plastic, I would scoop it out of the salad bar of spinach, um, a cup of broccoli, uh, and two chicken, uh, breasts. And that was my meal literally every day for almost a year. Mm. Um, and, um, as a six foot four, 200 and at the time, 50 pound night, or actually I was 18, 18 year old eating less than a thousand calories a day is going through a college workout is not good. <laughs> and so I started seeing repercut. Like the thing is, and this is where it compounds on itself is like your body goes into starvation mode uh, and starts storing everything you eat as fat because it doesn't know when its next meal is going to come because you're starving it. And so I would get so frustrated because I'm like, I'm literally not eating and I'm putting on weight. Like, how is that working? Like, or I'm, or I'm getting like fluffier is what I would say. Like, I'm so fluffy. Um, and, um, so I would stop eating. I would, I would restrict my eating even more. Um, and it got to a point that I, there was a good friend of mine. Her name is Lydia. Um, well, she was a good friend. I haven't spoken with her in a while. Um, but good friend of mine, she sat me down. I remember it. We didn't, she didn't sit me down. I was sitting down eating. She pulled up her tray next to mine and she goes, um, so how long have you had an eating disorder? Just straight up called me on it. And I was like, uh, I don't. And she's like, no, you do. She goes, you might not realize that you do. She goes, but your eating habits are like my eating habits. And I missed my entire freshman year because of that. And either you're going to get help or I'm going to get help for you. Like you don't have a choice. Um, wow. And yeah, she's like, either you tell somebody or I will. Wow. Um, yeah. And so, um, cause it almost killed her. She was hospitalized for it. Um, and so she saw that in me and I had to, for the rest of my time at Vanderbilt, I had to eat in front of my coaches. Um, I had to prove to them that I was eating. <laughs> uh, they would sit and make me like drink the protein shake in front of them because I would take it, walk around the corner, throw it in the first trash can that I found. Um, and so, man, it's been a long journey. Cause then I, I moved away from accountability I didn't tell my other, my new coaches about that. I didn't tell my roommates about that. I, um, and the thing is, is like, if you were to, I'm, I got really good at hiding it because like, to me, it was, there was like a set number of calories in my head that I could afford. Yeah. And whether I chose to eat them in one meal or over the course of a week changed on my social circumstance, because if I was with my roommates and we all went out to dinner, I, the last thing I wanted was the attention. So I would, I would eat. But then the next couple of days, it was like, you already spent your caloric, uh, like expenditure, like you've already, you've already a lot, your allotment has been taken. So you don't really get to eat today. Um, which is again, not good for football. <laughs> like, I, I wonder what my, like, how much better I would have been at football if I would have been fueling my body in a way um, that was appropriate. Um, because I wasn't by any means, like, I mean, I was getting ready to start. So like, it, like, it wouldn't have been it was not, it was hindering my performance, but it was also, I think if I, I think if it would have been hindering my performance more, it would have, I don't know. I don't know what that would have looked like because I was able to get away with it is essentially what it was. Um, 
but I say that um, carried it into my marriage. I carried it into, and it actually today I'm great with it. I, you and I were talking off pod about how I used, I mean, I still was, there's, I think with my eating, it's relationships. So like there was an unhealthy relationship with the gym. There was an unhealthy relationship with the gym and my food. Like if I eat, then I had to go to the gym. If I went to the gym, then I could eat. If I ate this much, then I had to go to the gym for this long. Um, And it's weird that like, it's not weird. It's cool. Like today I haven't gone to the gym in three weeks. I ride my bike now. Like that's, that's my exercise. Um, Because I just, I don't care. I, I think um, I've, I went to count, started going to counseling um, for it. And it's been a six month thing where truly, honestly, I haven't gone in a month because it's been a freaking whirlwind for the last month. Um, But today I'm great with it. I, I think the breaking point, and this was a big, a big thing. Um, Last October, uh, so I guess last June pandemic, there was a uh, body composition competition at the supplement store down the street from me. And I entered myself in it and I, my wife and I, only because I'm, I'm not, I'm not allowed to say cuss words, right? There's no cuss words. No, you can cuss. I'm a, all right. I'm a cheap ass. And so, um, <laughs> so there was, if you can't know what you're going to say, but you could definitely say ass. That's okay. 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 Yeah. Um, I'm a cheap ass. And so there was, if you signed up for the composite competition competition, you get a buy one, get one free coupon at the supplement store. And I was like, well, I need more protein. Sweet. So buy one. Yeah. I got my protein. Then I got pre-workout for free, which the fact that they can charge $40 for pre-workout, that's another whole, like another whole podcast worth of me complaining. Um, but then after eight weeks, you get another coupon. If you come in and weigh yourself, they do the in-body like bot, like mm-hmm. thing that you stand on. So at the time, my wife and I were completely vegan. Uh, we were, I'm not now, I do enjoy meat. Um, but uh, we were fasting for a home. We wanted, when we started looking for a home, we decided to start fasting. And so um, we were completely vegan. We were going for two walks a day. I was doing this workout thing that I got a park where you do, um, it's called the deck of doom. It's you take cards and you assign an exercise to each uh, suit. And then you do that many exercises of, so like if you pull a King, that's 13 burpees. If you pull, if you pull a 12, uh, that's, or if you pull a King of hearts, 13 burpees, 12 of, 12 of diamonds is a 12, right? No, a 10 of diamonds, uh, you get 10 uh, push-ups, right? You do, and that was my workout. I was doing that every day, wasn't drinking. At the end of eight weeks, I had put on eight pounds and 3% body fat. And I was like, that does not work. <laughs> That's not how things are supposed to go. Um, so I went to the doctor uh, actually and um, had all my blood levels tested because I thought my thyroid was jacked up. Um, it turns out that because of my eating disorder, my body had thrown itself so out of equilibrium that I was making zero testosterone, like legitimately none. Um, and that was causing huge depressive mood swings, like days, like late, like days at a time, I call them wet blanket mode, where it felt like literally you took a wet blanket and set it on me. Like I like didn't care who you were, didn't care your relationship to me. I was going to say what I said suck it up. Like I, I don't have the energy to care about your feelings essentially was how I felt. Um, I, 
was losing hair. My sex drive being newly married was like zero still. Like I literally um, was just this shell of a human. Um, and I got on a TRT, testosterone treatment. And today I'm like, I haven't had a wet blanket mood in over a year, praise God. And I haven't like, uh, I haven't, like my anxiety is still there, but that's something that's mental as far as like, I'm a control freak still. I still always wrestle with my lack of control, um, I think until maybe I need some more intensive counseling. But um, today, because of that, I think, I think forever the frustration was like, dude, I'm like restricting my food and I'm still not seeing the results that I want. And the reason for that was because I had no testosterone. <laughs> so like my bot testosterone is what build, builds muscle. It's what burns fat. It's literally what it, it supports your metabolism. It's all of these things. And no wonder that like you can, you could literally control your food in such a way that you ate. I was literally measuring out my food like a bodybuilder and I did not look like a bodybuilder. Um, and I didn't know why. Um, so yeah, today is great. Today is, um, I do need to get back like full transparency. I need to get back into counseling. Um, it's something that is, uh, proactive, not reactive. And I, right now I'm being reactive with it. Like, um, because I'm like, oh, I was laying in bed the other day and my wife and I were talking because, uh, I felt this insecurity of like, I hate looking at myself in the mirror. And I'm like, I haven't felt sudden. Um, and it's because I haven't gone to counseling. I haven't, I haven't been taking care of my mental, uh, intentionally. Uh, mm. I think that I have, uh, I mean, I'm always aware of it and I'm doing the exercises that I was taught, but I think I was talking on my own podcast the other day with someone who's like, if you go, if you just stop going to the gym, your strengths are going to go away. Your muscles are going to go away. Like you still know how to bench press. You still know how to squat, but you're not going to be as good at it. The same as with counseling. Like I, I still know all these exercises, but I don't, I'm not flexing those muscles. I'm not, I'm not strengthening them. I'm allowing them to atrophy. And um, so today I'm at like a seven, I'd say a seven out of 10 on my eating. Um, whereas like I, um, yeah, I would say that I'm just, I need to, I, I'm aware of, the, of my need to go forward. Mm. Well, well, thank you. Thank you for sharing all that. Um, I know that when most people hear the words uh, eating disorder, um, they routinely associate that with, um, with those that identify as women. Yeah. Um, but clearly and obviously, uh, eating disorders don't discriminate and they can happen to, to men, as you just explained. And so yeah. with that, with that relationship that, that, that view has, um, for you, was there some shame associated with that eating disorder or being a, a macho football player? Yeah, and struggling with the way that you viewed food and your relationship with that. One hundred percent, man. I uh, it's a it is like you said a woman's disease. Um, it is a disease that men don't deal with. Um, I put so many air quotes around all of that because mm -hmm. if you only knew, I 
so again, I'm a nerd. I'm introspective. I want to understand why my brain works the way that it does. Cause honestly, I hate it. So my thing is like, how do I fix it? I'm a man. I like to fix things. Um, I want to learn about my body. And I spent every paper I've ever written, every presentation I, I've ever given, um, anytime I had a chance to choose the topic on a dissertation of something was eating disorders or eating disorders in sports or eating disorders in men. Um, and then also puppy mills because I'm passionate about puppy mills. And so um, don't buy dogs from pet shops. Um, but uh, I, I learned like, dude, aesthetically pleasing or aesthetically driven sports such as wrestling or diving or football is like there's a there's a body type that you are a football player like if you're outside of the offensive line which even if you say offensive line it's like okay he's a, he's a I hate the word fatty but like he tight end has to look this way a quarterback should look that way like we put this image of like what you should look like to be athletic and if you don't fit that, then you're less than. And so men, and put it on the fact that there is so much shame that, dude, if you would have asked me, if you would, I will guarantee you, if you walked into any of your gyms and you saw, and you sat and talked to every man, I would, I would be willing to bet that a majority of them have habits with food and exercise that are borderline eating disorder or disordered eating. Uh, I think eating, and, and I would talk like counting macros is unhealthy. Like, like it is like, it can be unhealthy. There's a, there is such a thin line of counting micros and macros um, because it restricts food in such a way. Like your body was made in, in a way that when you're hungry, you eat. Like your body knows when it's hungry. And I've restricted, today, I don't know that feeling. I've restricted it in such a way that like food is a utensil or uh, yeah, it's a, it's like, it's something that I use because I know I have to be alive to, I have to eat it to be alive. I could care less about food. I, I, I eat when my friends eat. I'm like, like this, the, the feeling of hunger I've learned to ignore. And so um, I think that with men there is this like you would like like i said you could go into and that you the the statistics are so skewed because the uh, the people that are reporting are afraid to talk about it they're afraid to say hey i do have this and that's not just eating disorders that's mental health umbrella in general because men are viewed as weak if they like i literally i i remember wrestling so heavily like um with not wanting my wife to feel like she had to like coddle me like, I didn't want to tell her that I wrestled with certain things because I didn't want her to think that I was fragile. I wanted to be a man who could support the house and be this big, strong, burly man. And she didn't have to worry about saying something to me that could send me down a, a spiral that I couldn't get out of. Um, so I'm not going to tell people that. Like, I'm not going to. Um, but I, that's where the start of my whole journey of, man, I call it a passion project because um, there's so many different layers to it um like artistically and um that goes into like writing and drawing and I think my podcast is art um in just a different medium and um there's things that I want to I want to build websites and I want to do all of this stuff around the idea that so there was a my dream job 
um, the job that I'm working now is I complain about it, which is just annoying because I just do it. Um, I don't know why I complain about it, but I work from home. I work for a, a, a couple that like I'm working right now. Um, I have my phone that has, if I show it to you, I have four emails that I need to um, get to, but there are no fires in the glove world that can't wait an hour to be put out. And so, and so I'm able to take a podcast. I'm able to, uh, yesterday I worked from my wife's office because anywhere my laptop is, I can go and work. And um, they, they're a fam, they're a family. It's a, it's me and the owners of the company. And then one other lady who are customer facing. And then we have manufacturing, we have warehouse people who are great also, but the people that I interact with, there's four of them. Um, and I get to work wherever I want with these amazing people. And I wanted this job. It took me six months to get the job. I got married, um, ended an internship, got married, was unemployed. I had told my wife, I want this job. We turned down three jobs in those six months um, because this the the, the position had to be created and, and the owners of the company were traveling a ton and it just truly wasn't a priority, which is fine. They had a business to run, but to me, it was a priority because I needed a job. Um, but it took six months. So I was unemployed. I had an eating disorder. My wife and I were $100 in the green, uh, meaning after she got paid, paying our rent, paying for our cars and paying for our bills, we had $100 to live on for the month. Food, any like I'm gas, uh, backed up some good credit card debt um, because you can't do that. 100 bucks is not realistic to live on. Um, and I was feeling shame of like, dude, you're a man, you're a man who is not being um, compounded or that like just kept com compounding on itself. And the eating disorder was a huge part of that. Um, and I kind of got on a rabbit trail there, but it was, it's, it was more just to say like, man, um, my eating disorder, I think that a big, the fact that it's labeled a woman's disease is my biggest frustration. And it's literally what I'm, tr what I'm working on. Um, why I'm working on it now is because I sat in it forever by myself because I thought that it was a woman's disease and I was, disease and I was embarrassed by it. Like, how dare you allow something like this to, like, you're the only person who wrestles with this as a dude. And I know that there's other dudes out there who, other guys out there who wrestle with it right now in silence. Uh, and so like when I talk, I'm like, literally if you just hear me say it, that might free you up to talk about it because you're like, I'm not alone in this. Right. Um, so like I have an eating disorder. I will freely claim that. I, I actually kind of catch people off guard sometimes because they're like, so like, what are your tattoos? I have a lot. Of, I have tattoos everywhere. Um, they're like, what are your tattoos about? I'm like, well, this one's about my eating disorder and this one's about my mental health. And they're like, I'm like, yeah, I'll talk about it. Like, what's up? <laughs> what do you want to know about it? Uh, and it's, it's very uh, counter cultural, but it's, that's how I live my life is like, I don't want to conform to anything of this world. So. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I take a few things from that. Right. Um, for one, right. It took you, it took you a while to get to this place. Right. When you were in college, you weren't telling anyone that you had an eating disorder. Right. Yeah. So those that may be hearing this and struggling with that, 
Um, think about that. Think about that path you're going to take. And eventually you can get to a spot where you are comfortable with it, right? Because as yeah. I say, always there's light at the end of the tunnel. You know, where you are now is not where you're going to end up. When where you're going to end up is also not the final destination. So there's so many different journeys and pivots along the way. And, and, and Mitch is a testament to that. Right. And then along with that, like I'm, I'm in professional wrestling. And so body dysmorphia in professional wrestling is everywhere. Literally everyone has it. Right. Because to be a professional wrestler, you are deciding you're making the choice to go out in front of a large group of people could be 10 people could be 10,000 could be 100,000 depending on the level you're at. And you're wearing very small amounts of clothing and allowing people to judge you on your appearance. Right. And so then because of that, when we go home, we put our gear on and we look ourselves in the mirror. We're like, that shouldn't be in that spot. Why does this look like this? I shouldn't have this. And then that causes a psychological relationship with our food. It's not just like people look at eating disorders and like, oh, you just have a, like an issue with food. No, it's like a psychological imbalance in your brain. Right. So it's not just like, oh, dude, just eat that. You'll be fine. It's, it literally doesn't work that way. And so I'm getting very passionate about it, but like, it's a psychological thing it. that's going on in your brain. Just like when you get major depression and someone says, Hey dude, just get over it. That's literally impossible. And something that you should not say to someone because they're having a major depressive episode, which causes a whole slew of things, which, um, you know, need obviously treatment and care in the same way. If you have a bad relationship with food or something happened in your childhood or all these other things are components of that. And it all is the neural circuitry in your brain is wired a little bit differently. So you, so your actual relationship with food is a psychological issue. And yeah. so just like you did, went to counseling, did some treatment, and now your relationship is a bit better. Um, some days are worse than others. And it's going on the path to be good um, or yeah. viewed in that way. And so uh, yeah. I just wanted to make those few statements. I didn't have no, and you said something that, very, but. you said something very important to me. Uh, some days are better than others. Uh, I think that in mental health in general, well, shoot, in, in, in life, yeah. some days are better than others. Some days are really hard for me uh, with my eating. There are days that, but I think the difference for me is I'm able to recognize that hard days are hard days, not normal days. Like before it was, oh, I got a, I didn't eat today and cool. I, I'm not going to eat tomorrow, probably. Uh, whereas today, it's like, hey, I didn't eat yesterday. And I don't know if it was on purpose or not. Maybe I just like subconsciously did it. I can't do that tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing is like, with mental health, it's gonna be a, a it's it's a marathon. And mm-hmm. it's, and it's, uh, it's not this 50 yard sprint where you're just healed of it because yeah. it is a healing it is a like it is something that you need to recover from it is a wound that happened uh, I, I love what you said circuitry because i i so often see that like something in my brain is like cr- cr- like misfiring or um i just did the with my buddy uh i shouldn't say that i did i stood there while he did the electric in my basement and if one little thing is mis is not connected correctly the entire circuitry for the entire basement does not work from one wire and i i feel like that's how it is in my brain that like um and maybe and i know actually not maybe i know that this is wrong atomically but like i see like this little portion of my brain that is like the food like uh what's the movie with all the different emotions uh inside out um 
with like little cartoon emotions. Anyways, I see like this part of my brain that they, that my food thoughts are created, originated from stored. There's a, there's a misfire in there and I need to go in and rewire it because it's affecting the rest of my brain and it affects my relationships. It affects my food. It affects my sleep. It affects my work. It affects my like emotions. Um, that's not a quick fix. That's not something that you can just do. And right. so, uh, I would just encourage you if you're listening to this and that's something, it doesn't have to be an eating disorder, man. It can be anxiety. It can be depression. It can be suicidal ideation, which would be a result of any, I've, I've had suicidal ideation. You know how crazy it sounds to say that I have literally thought about taking my own life because of my relationship with food. That's how powerful it is in my head that I'm so exhausted because I think, and maybe in my experience, whenever I've reached those points, it hasn't been a long time, but whenever I had reached those points, it was out of exhaustion. It was out of, I'm tired of feeling this way. I'm tired of doing this and not seeing the results. Nothing that I'm doing is working. But the thing is, is like, and don't feel silly if that's how you feel too, because I felt that way. So like, I think the biggest thing with mental health is one of, maybe not the biggest, a large portion is um, camaraderie and the fact that you're not alone in it. Because Mm -hmm. when you're alone in it, you allow, your brain is not for you. Your brain, (laughs) your brain is, it it, it is a mind of its own, truly. I mean, it is, it it is its own mind. Like it is not for you. Uh, It'll send you down paths that you have no desire to go down and send thoughts into your space where you're like why am I even thinking this but I am um when you say those out loud to people who care for you they're able to say hey that's not a good thought hey that's not a true thought that's not truth um you aren't that um and all it takes is one person I I have a couple people and that but it's taken me a long time to get to a couple people I would just encourage you to get one person that you can sit and talk about or go to a coffee shop and talk about, or man, whatever is your comfort place and just share with them. Yeah. That's a, that was a great analogy you made about your electrical system and uh, the anatomy of your brain, actually that, that reference you made is actually not too far off uh, because there are certain portions of your brain that control certain portions of your life. Um, and one of the centers of your brain does control your relationship with food. And just like the wiring in your house, right? If one thing is off, you fix that, boom, boom, boom. And it all there, that neuroplasticity of your brain also can be rewired as well. There's some, um, some biological underpinnings and stuff that's like predetermined by your genetics, of course, but your brain is such a magical thing, um, that the neuroplasticity can change through some of these methods that we've talked about, counseling, treatment, um, possibly medication, if that's what your doctor prescribed after going on through some of these other things. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's actually quite amazing. Um, but yeah, like you said, I mean, taking that first step, one to uh, being aware and admitting that you might have a disorder or a disease or an illness, um, and then opening up to a person and, and allowing that help to come to us, and then finding these resources um, and the professional help we need to, to navigate it and, and to become you know, the best version of ourselves with this kind of thing that we have, which is 100% possible and 
And uh, yeah, that's that's what I believe to be true. Yeah, I think, like you said, finding resources. I, I talked with a friend the other day. He was like, I have a whole team of people. He goes, I have a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a therapist. He goes, and that doesn't make me less. He goes, I'll tell that to anybody. He goes, because, um, and another, man, I, I, I talk to men a lot right, right now, like, that, like literally four or five men a day, an hour at a time, not a day, four or five men a week, hour at a time. And I had another friend who's like, Tiger Woods has a golf coach. Tiger Woods is the best golfer in the world or was, and he had a golf coach. I'd be willing to bet that the golf coach could not beat him in golf, but the golf coach can watch him and give him advice on how he could maybe make his game a little bit better. Mm -hmm. If I'm sitting in this world by myself, there are blind spots. If I have a psychologist that's there, I'm, this is expensive. You know, I don't think I know a lot of people who can't afford this, but like the idea of having a psychologist, a psychiatrist and a therapist all in my corner so that when I go and talk with them, they, maybe you just have your brother, your sister and your mom in your corner. Maybe you have your best friends in your corner, but you have people who are in your corner. That's the thing is like, you have a team that you are, you're not doing this life by yourself. And when you do have these, like, like you're saying, like I, man, the brain is so interesting to me. And Caroline Leaf talks about uh, neural pathways and how I love uh, her. she's great. She is a genius. I I'm doing a, one day. Uh, a three day, um, like intensive mental health course with her in Dallas in December. Jealous. Yeah, I would come, but I'll have a one month old baby. I don't think my wife would like me to leave. No, you should um, stay. That's much more important. <laughs> I'll send you some notes. Yeah, I no take backs. Um, she, does this thing, <laughs> she does this thing with where she talks about she she relates it to the Amazon, where if you were to walk through the Amazon and the first time you go, there's bush, there's trees and there's shrubs everywhere, but you have a machete and you're cutting your way through. The next day, your progress from the day before is there. So a little bit easier. Day after day, you're doing this. Eventually, there's a four-lane highway of, and that's how your brain works with, with, neuro, with neurons being sent down these pathways and developing habits and developing. With me, I've created a highway of looking at myself in the mirror and going, yeah. Like, that's my initial, yeah. Like, but I'm able to, you, they, those can A, be healed and new ones can be formed and so i love the idea of okay the grand canyon was formed by the colorado river uh it it is thousands of years this water carving away at the at the earth right if i would put a dam above the color above in the colorado river above the uh grand canyon eventually a new Grand Canyon thousands of years from now would be created by wherever the Colorado River is diverted to. And the Colorado River and the Grand Canyon would be filled and healed, like the, that earth would be healed. That's how I feel that I am with my mental health right now, is I am trying really hard to divert these thoughts from eh to a different, better place of appreciating my body, of being like, I... I no longer see my body as gross, but as like, it gives me the ability to play basketball. Like it, like I am, like I, I'm working, but that doesn't mean that this giant crater in the earth that is the Grand Canyon, is just automatically healed. Like it takes time and attention to heal that land and to heal that part of my brain that doesn't make it so that I can't also redirect. They're not, 
they are not one and the same. It is two separate efforts. Um, and so with this neuroplasticity, um, I know this is so off topic. Well, it's not off topic. It's just, you didn't really ask about it, but it got me thinking like the brain is such a cool place that whatever these thoughts are that, that if you are listening to this, that mental health, like the first thing is like being able to identify that they're not healthy. But then after that, it's like, how do I re redirect them? like and that's and that's all gonna take so much time so have grace for yourself yeah i have i mean i couldn't have said it better myself you're uh, you're a very wise and, and beautiful man mitch <laughs> thank you but i have a, i have one last question for you yeah um, i think it's a very important question um how does your faith tie into all of this yeah um, my faith, huh. it's been hard because I am, I'm not, so I'm a Christian who I believe that, um, I believe in God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, I believe, uh, and my wife is a pastor. She's a worship leader. So church is a big you, part. Your wife doesn't know this yet, but she's going to be on the podcast. So she is. Oh yeah. She doesn't know that. And neither do you, but I have oh. to have her on. She seems like the <laughs> most incredible person. Yeah, she if you guys ever want to go listen to her or her team, Red Rocks Worship, they're on Spotify. They're, that's the crazy thing is they, they just released an album, I guess just released, but in the last six months, they released an album and it's been streamed in the millions of times. Like it's, it is, um, she's like, it's cool because we have a baby coming and she is on a record label and they're essentially saying like, hey, we're going to start touring in January. And she's like, hey, I'm not unless you bring my husband, because I am going to breastfeed and I can't bring my baby without him. And um, so she and I are going to be touring <laughs> in the new year, which is super cool. Um, our baby's going to get used to airplanes. Uh, but, um, but I say wow. that all. Yeah, it's super cool. Uh, but it's been a, uh, it's been a journey in that too, because I hate I think the purpose, so the, the part of my podcast is um, putting purpose to pain. I don't believe that um, God would put you through something. Um, he's not a spiteful God. He's, I don't believe that he is going to say, here, sit under this pain for seven years at this point is where I'm at for no reason. There's mm -hmm. always a reason for it. Um, and I don't, I don't believe that, that my eating disorder is in vain. I don't believe it's a punishment. I believe that it's, um, I, there are, I think that there are, I know, man, I, I sat, I sat at a camp. Um, I do a lot of volunteer or did a lot of volunteering for athletes in action, uh, and FCA, which are fellowship of Christian athletes. And, um, I sat at a camp of high school kids one time and was sharing my testimony, sharing my story of what God has done in my life. And I, I left out my eating disorder. This was the first time I've ever proclaimed having an eating disorder because I, I finished my telling my story and I man it's gonna make me teary I had I didn't I didn't share my I, the biggest part of my life I didn't share it um and because I didn't see it as something that God was in I saw it as like this is something that I'm doing on my own um and I was angry at God for it but at the end of my talking, I was like, hey, I, um, in my back of my head, it's like, you didn't share your whole story. You didn't share your whole story. 
And so very, so I, I like to public speak. I, 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 um, I enjoy being in front of people and talking and in the most unsuccinct, like the most choppy, not in my message type of presentation. I just go, I have an eating disorder and that's okay. Afterwards I had, I'm not kidding you, Jackson, 10 high school boys come up to me and say, I didn't know that I was allowed to do that. I didn't know that I was allowed to think that way. And you do. And in that moment, I was like, that's the purpose. That's what, because I will talk about it. I will. Um, I, I've, I will talk about it for the rest of my life. I'll talk about it forever. Um, if only it frees up people. I, I'm okay sitting in my discomfort if it frees up people from sitting in theirs, if that makes sense. And so I think with my faith, man, I, I would love to not worry about food. I don't know if um, there have been, there's been a lot of tension. So there's a verse in the Bible that says, um, he, it's Romans eight talks about, uh, I work all things together for the good of those who love him. Um, and forever, I thought that that meant I work all things together for Mitch, um, which it doesn't say that it says, because an eating disorder is not good for me. <laughs> um, my mental health being poor is not good for me. But it says, uh, I work all things together for the good of those who love him. Um, that doesn't say Mitch, it says those. And so if I'm able to take this thing that is a thorn in my side or is a burden to me and he can work it in a way that is good for others and good for the other his other people um then amen then 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 use me and so uh yeah man i i think that not to downplay mental health because it has like i said completely wreaked havoc in my life but I don't have this monumental loss I haven't lost a parent a grandparent a brother a sister a best friend and I, I feel grateful that this is the worst thing that that is that has happened to me in my life um which I'd never thought I would say like um but I'm at a point now where I'm like okay I'm going to, I'm not going to allow it to be a weapon against me. I'm going to weaponize it and use it. Um, and so, yeah, man, I think my faith has a big part in perspective of my mental health. Um, and it's taken me a long time to get there. Uh, but I believe that God is good in all things. And we could go, we could go back to the, uh, the, the analogy that I gave you about the book and I'm not even going to give you the ammunition to use it against me right now, but, um, <laughs> uh i'm i'm i i believe that there's good in all things uh i believe that god i believe that god is in all things and if i inherently believe that god is good uh then therefore in all things there must be goodness and my eating disorder might be classified as bad but there is goodness in it and i want to search to find it and then once i find it i want to highlight it and so yeah perspective would be um the lens that my faith provides Beautiful. That's beautiful. I think, uh, I mean, I'm grateful for you for sharing that 
Um, and I think that faith or believing in a higher power or whatever terminology that you use is, is so extremely important, especially when life throws you challenges and obstacles and setbacks, having something to believe in, um, to keep you holding on to, to pushing towards that light at the end of the tunnel, uh, is extremely valuable and important. And so, I mean, my faith is, is wrapped up in, in, in the things that I do in the same way that you're doing the things that you're doing. And I think it all intertwines and all intersects and it's all part of the, you know, you know the one mission to kind of, you know, bring love to the world and make it a, in a better place. And so that's what I believe to be true. But, um, Thank you for sharing all of that. Uh, and to end it, yeah. um, where can people find you? Where can people find your pod? And uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I believe my new Instagram name is Mitchell G. Parsons. Let me pull it up real quick. Uh, da, 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 da. Mitchell G. Parsons is my, my Instagram name. Uh, you can find me there. Uh, I post a lot about art and mental health. Uh, you can also look up my podcast, uh, which is uh, over a drink podcast. The idea of it is that I want to normalize normal men talking about normal things. So men come on, Jackson comes on, uh, came on, uh, and we just have a conversation about things that society says that men should probably not talk about. Um, mm -hmm. And I say bullshit. And so we are we're talking about it. I have people who come on. I've had Green Beret come on and talk about PTSD. I've had fathers who have uh, kids who are having brain surgery. I have normal people coming on and not normal. They're all normal, but like test like testimonies that you would classify as like un uh, anticlimactic, but they're coming on talking about forgiveness or they're coming on and talking about wholeness and things that are just important to talk about uh, in the, in the, structure of two men having that conversation and so um that's over a drink podcast i'm also as of yesterday i released a thing called shots which in that same vein uh it's an it's an idea about like all these conversations used to be over or they still are over a drink over a coffee or a beer shots are espresso shots and tequila shots and they're two minute little blurps of mp4 files that i've created from or extracted from zoom calls and um, that's a cool thing that I'm excited about. And so, yeah, you can find me there. Um, I'd love to chat with you. I'd love to talk about literally anything. I'll talk to you about, I'm a fantasy nerd. I love books with elves and dwarves and dragons. And um, I uh, am also a food nerd. I'm a fantasy football fan, big time. I hate football, but I love winning money in fantasy football. Um, and so uh yeah that would be me mitchell g parsons on on instagram amazing um yeah if you if you're a regular listener of jackson talks everybody then you're gonna love uh over the drink pod it's great um it's uh yeah it's really good i i, I urge you to give it a check give it a listen thank you uh give him a follow um but uh again thanks for coming on thanks for taking the time to do this thank you for sharing your story um and uh, yeah, much love to you, man. Hey, I appreciate you for having me on. Thank you for doing what you're doing. I, I, I think that um, it's so cool that we're in different parts of the country. We have different stories, but we're still fighting the same. Um, I think of it as like a war, like we're in this war against mental health and you're in a different battle on the other side of the um, side of the 
let's just say landscape and I'm over here doing different things and, um, but we're still fighting that same common enemy. And so, um, cheers to you. I appreciate you. Um, and I look forward to doing it again, doing it more, maybe not this again, but work like, man, collaborating in one way or another. Yeah. There'll be a, uh, uh, Mitch Parsons inspired t-shirt on, uh, on the, you are, which Love I website. owe you. I owe you. I just, I, I am good at drawing and I'm like, I, I'm love to draw, but for some reason I can't figure this out. And so we're just gonna, I need to talk to you off pod about it, but, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be, Hey, we're in no rush. We're in no rush. It'll be good. But, uh, thank you everyone for listening. Share this friend, family member, and I'm grateful for everyone. Thank you.